Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today's guest is my friend and colleague, Austin Liston. Hi, Austin. Hi. So I'm bending the rules a little bit having you on because A, they're my rules <laughs> and I get to break them, and B, I knew it would be really fun. And C, because I really want more male perspectives on this program. Um, and when we first talked about doing this, um, you had me on your show, Best Wives Club. I will put a link in the show notes because it's such a great show. <laughs> and we were talking about grief. And you said something about your kids that really stuck with me. About how, in your hus- how you and your husband think about parenting your kids um, through a lot of change and challenges. And you said something like, I'm sure to them it feels like a death. I'll let you talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But just for context, um, Austin and I know each other because we both teach art to kids through the Armory Center um, in Pasadena. And maybe just explain your podcast and then your family structure, like how you first became a dad and then how you and your husband decided to bring more kids into the family. So yeah, so I have a podcast, Best Wives Club, with my husband's ex-wife Amanda um that we um we say it's the podcast for wives of all genders Mm -hmm. and it's about kind of the domestic space and about parenting and family um and so the structure of my family is I'm married to Chad and then um Chad and Amanda have two children uh they have a 13 year old and a 11 year old Mm -hmm. and then um Chad and I are fostering Four children, ages seven, two, almost three, 18 months, and nine months. Mm. <laughs> How so. there's an 18 month and a nine month. I know. And then Amanda <laughs> has triplets with her husband, Jeremy. So right. between between all of us, there's nine children. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. And listening to your podcast with her, it, it's really clear how much you guys sort of are all one big family yeah there's a lot of babysitting there's a lot of covering for each other there's a lot of like we're all gonna do this together yeah I mean that sounds so fun I know Amanda (laughs) and I really like have just kind of clicked and became Mm. best friends you know prior to the podcast (laughs) so how did you and Chad meet and then how did you and Amanda like how did that go uh well Chad and I met on tinder Mm. um and then so they had kind of an interesting structure where Amanda and Jeremy lived in an apartment, mm-hmm. and then in the level below, Chad was in an apartment, like, directly underneath theirs, and the boys would go back and oh, forth. Oh, that's cool. And that was the setup when we were first dating. And I knew what Amanda looked like from a reality show oh. <laughs> that she was on. Oh, wow. Um, and so then um, I saw her a couple times, but didn't really... Actually, one of the boys saw me coming into the apartment and was like oh this is and it was like kind of awkward but kind of like oh. you know so one of <laughs> one of chad and her sons introduced yeah. you. yeah he was probably six at the time and was like, you know really excited so it was like kind of a while before we really had much interaction yeah apart from you know maybe picking up or dropping off the boys and it was always like pleasant but yeah. it wasn't really like right you know deep and, conversations or anything for and a then while. how did that happen how did you guys get to be friends we at one point invited them to um one of the boys birthday parties we were like let's just do it at the same time yeah. you know yeah um she and i were like instantly like oh <laughs> you just married the same person two times 
Wow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Wow. So similar and so, like, you know, very, like, Amanda and I see eye to eye on everything. Wow. You know, like, very easy communication Interesting. between us. You know? <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I love that you put it that way. <laughs> Chad got got his way. That was where the name um, Best Wives Club came from. Because I oh. like said to Amanda one time, I was like, "Wow, Chad has just great taste." <laughs> and she was like, "Best Wives Club." <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not like who's the best wife club. No, yeah, no. It was like we are we are yeah. obviously the best. Right. And like, wow, right. you are so lucky, Chad. Oh, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Um, can you talk about the family you grew up in and how the way you were raised affects how you parent your kids? Yeah. So, um, you know, I grew up, my parents are, were high school sweethearts. They're Mm -hmm. still together. Mm. Um, and we, I grew up in Orange County, um, for the most part, uh, very progressive parents. Mm Um, uh. Well, when didn't you have, um, I feel like you mentioned that you... Your parents fostered some kids. Oh, no. Chad's parents fostered kids. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I had no connection to um, foster care until Chad and I were just talking about I wanted to have, you know, children. And he brought up um, foster care as, Mm -hmm. like, an option. Okay. And I was, like, not sure at the time. Right. Um, but he, he has a brother that was adopted through foster care. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. I assumed it was your mom for some reason. No. Um, yeah. So how does that, how does he think about it? Like, how do you think his experience growing up with, um, a foster to adoption brother, like helped you, you know, understand what that would look like or. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of interesting cause he was, they did not intend to adopt okay. through foster care. His mom was really, truly in it just to foster children. Yeah. So Chad, growing up, had foster siblings that were true fosters okay. for the most part. And his brother um, that was adopted out of foster care, um, that happened when Chad... I think he was adopted when Chad was like 18 or 19. Okay. And so... Um, I think, But I think the other thing that like really impacted Chad was I had no... Um, you know, I have the one brother, so I had such a small family, and Chad has, how many siblings does he have? Four biological siblings, yeah. plus the adopted sibling, mm. plus step-siblings, so he, plus foster siblings. Wow, so he's like, grew up in a huge clan, kind of, yeah. and probably was, is very happy having another big clan of exactly. his own. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so he was, has been more able to like, you know, for me it's hard, it's been hard at times before to yeah. conceptualize like how do you even do things yeah. with six children yeah. in the house because like for me it was like two of us that were very quiet mm-hmm. you know yeah. like you yeah. know like kind of like a calm household yeah so that sounds like <laughs> such a huge learning curve yeah it yeah. has been <laughs> yeah and i mean and can you mention a little bit about how you ended up with four or like, how did that, like, I know that wasn't planned. It was not planned. <laughs> it was not planned. Um, our original thing was, um, you know, I think it was like definitely one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you go through the foster care classes and stuff to get licensed. And it really changes your perspective on mm. what, what needs are, what foster care even is. And like, you know, we went in and I was like, well, I want to adopt. So I want like a kid who like the rights have been terminated for the parents and, this and then, it, you know, 
that ended up not being the mm-hmm. situation we went into. And it was also like, I want one. And then they talk so much about, well, it's really hard to keep siblings together. And then yeah. it does a lot of damage when you split them up. So it was like, oh, yeah, maybe we can do two. So we got the license. Our license said two. And then um, and then we were trying to get a placement and being really impatient. And um, so I went on the foster care Facebook groups. And a lot of times there are people there like, looking for placements so Mm -hmm. it was like i saw someone posted that she had a placement of three siblings and that they needed to find a new place for them and it was one six-year-old and two babies Mm -hmm. and i was like well that sounds like a lot Mm -hmm. but like maybe we can i can talk to her and see and then she was like oh maybe i'll bring them over to your house to see and it was like they never left (laughs) Wow. um, And so after that, we found out that their biological mother was pregnant. Okay. Was nine months pregnant. Okay. So the um, fourth baby was born right away. Yeah. Wow. I think within a week and a half of us having the placement, the fourth baby was born. And then we had to, you know, decide what to do with that. And so at first it was like, we still weren't sure if this was going to be a long-term placement, if mm-hmm. it was going to head towards reunification, what was going to happen. And then, um, so that baby ended up going to a different foster home because we were like, not ready. Yeah. You know, there was just no way. We, right. weren't, we were prepared had... for two. Yeah. <laughs> I had never had babies before, so I'm like literally learning to change diapers. <laughs> and like, I just wasn't ready for a sure. newborn. Um, and then eight months later, seven or eight months later... Um, we decided it was time to take the mm. fourth baby. Mm. So now we, we have them. They're all back together. Yeah. Actually, they're all together for the first time because mm-hmm. they had never met before. Oh, really? The, th- the three hadn't met the fourth baby okay, yet. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yes. I the other three were always together. Okay. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You know, when we hear stories like this, we often just think about kind of the gain of the new family mm-hmm. and everybody wants to focus on that happy mm-hmm. happy um but there's also a loss mm-hmm. you know there's a loss of their birth mother and mm-hmm. there's a loss of i mean she's still alive and you know i don't know what the situation is it doesn't matter but you know the fact is they're not with her now yeah and so she i'm sure does and will continue to kind of loom large in their mm-hmm imaginations mm-hmm. if nothing else yeah you know um and so how do you guys like do you think about that how much do you think about it how do you think about handling it as they grow older like i don't know can you talk a little bit about I that i think it was really helpful to have the classes and i also was you know kind of just before getting into it, I was really yeah. deep into like the youtube um adoption and foster care stuff and i started with the adoption stuff where you see the videos of like you're getting adopted and yeah. like balloons and everyone's crying and happy. And then like, you know, you get into the foster care and some of, some of the more, I think, honest mm. foster parents on there were like, just so you know, like it could be the happiest day of your life. And for the kid, especially like a kid who knows what's going on, that it like will probably not be that. It might be the worst day of their life that they're, mm. you know, they're not necessarily going to be excited to go into a home with people they don't know, you know? Yeah. And even kids coming out of, like, the most horrible situations almost always want their own family, like, that they already had. Yeah. And I thought, I think that was really helpful for me because I'm a person who, like, I just like to know what is going on, like, an honest honest thing beforehand. I don't want to go in expecting that these kids are going to be, like, 
overjoyed. So, you know, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, and so I, I have, I found that helpful. The foster care classes went into a lot about like, you know, the psychology of that and mm. like how to help them through that. And they talk about it kind of in those terms of like, it is going to be a loss for them, even if it's, you know, for the goal of foster care in general is reunification. So it's, you know, yeah. even if it's a temporary thing, they're going to be grieving for that time yeah. that they're not there. You know, it's, it's going to be hard for them. It's not, it's not, you know, you, you, I want to say, like, also that, like, a thing that gets said to me a lot, that, like, a well-intentioned thing is people are always like, oh, they're they're so lucky to have you. And it's like, um, mm. I, I don't know that it would be, like, normal for, like, a parent, for a child to feel, like, so lucky about their parents. Like, you kind of just are where you are and they don't, right. oh, they don't owe me that. Like, yeah. no one, yeah. you know, like, they, you know, kids in the system are, something hard happened to them. Yeah. And they don't have to be thankful that something hard happened to them. You know, yeah. they can just be right. mad or sad or mm-hmm. whatever that feeling is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and I think just making space for all of that, mm-hmm. you know, for the both and of all of it. Like how, yeah, and even if they were reunified, that would be another loss. That would mm-hmm. be the loss of this family that they'd grown up in. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's going to be... Loss on all sides. Yeah, yeah. For the baby, it was you know, it's like oh, we wanted you know that was a consideration when we were deciding to to take her. It's like, well, she's been with one foster parent Mm. since she was born, basically. So it's like, so now we're gonna you know, every time you move a baby, that's gonna be a trauma for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So just about that, like I would think that being a foster parent where like the ultimate goal is reunification would be sort of a dance between mm-hmm. attachment, knowing that they could be, they could leave or be taken away. Or it strikes me as the same sort of double-edged sword of gain and loss, like something you have to continually kind of balance mm-hmm. or I don't know, like how do you experience that? I mean, it, I know it's really early days, yeah. <laughs> but how do you think about that? Maybe? Yeah. Um, I, I like found it helpful. One of the trainers in one of the foster mm-hmm. care classes you know, they say, like, attachment is the is the goal. Because, mm-hmm. like, especially for... We have small children, so, like, it's part of their brain developing. They need to be bonding with you, and you can't be holding back from a baby because it's going right. to do damage. They need to be able to form yeah. solid attachments, even if they're going to lose you eventually. Right. Um, and the this trainer said something along the lines of, like, and, you know, like, if that's hard for you, like, okay, get over it. You're a grown-up, and you should just deal with... The, you know? <laughs> Like, get a therapist, you know? And I kind of, like, was, like, that actually, her saying it in that way was helpful to me. Just be like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Just, like, do it. Jump both feet in. And, you know, if it is, if the worst thing that happens to me is, like, a family getting reunified, like, that's not the worst thing. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they're, Mm -hmm. like, I can, I will live. Right. You know? Right. I mean, honestly, with my own children, I sometimes would feel that kind of resistance like Mm -hmm. jesus this is a huge risk i'm taking yeah attaching myself to this vulnerable person who Mm -hmm. something could happen to them yes (laughs) you know and that that like is so important i think for people to think about like if they're thinking about getting into foster care or whatever it's like Mm -hmm. you could have there's risk in every relationship that something could happen and like i mean highlighted beautifully by your podcast that they're like you know bonds between parents and children that can be broken for Mm -hmm. things outside of your control right right. and so it's like 
you're still do you're still getting this connection. Yeah, totally. You know. And I I knew pretty early on that it was worth it. Like, you know, like that's something I have thought in some of those vulnerable moments where mm. you're having like a, a moment of bonding with a baby and you think like if I like if you get reunified tomorrow, like it was worth it, mm. you know, to have this connection with this baby right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it made sounds like staying present mm-hmm. is like a real Yeah, that's the word I use all the time. It's like I'm just trying to be present and I try to you know, the, I would say that's been the main thing that I like my coping tool is to I try not to picture too far in advance, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. I've been hesitant to like, you know, should I start buying Christmas presents now or should mm-hmm. I wait a little, you know? Yeah. Cuz I'll be, you know, <laughs> and then it's like I'll just buy them now and then I'll send them with them if they get reunified. You know, like, yeah. it's like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's one thing our minds sort of tend to do is, like, jump ahead. Um, I think of myself as, like, kind of like a capital R romantic person. So mm-hmm. I do go to, like, the fantasy of the future, mm-hmm. but I kind of have, have shifted, tried to shift that into, like, a fantasy of the curiosity. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to see what happens and it's going to be, you know... yeah. A surprise and yeah. like you know yeah. yeah are there any like things you see in your kids i mean i would assume it's just the the oldest one that um that might be demonstrating through his behavior some some of those conflicts or... i would say uh like in general like for children like everything comes out as a behavior they're so transparent yeah. <laughs> you know like um like if there's a change to the case or if something happens that i see behavioral changes mm-hmm. nothing like super dramatic right but just like oh there's like more resistance to bedtime and like a, like what i view as like a a huge reaction to something small mm-hmm. like that like yeah. oh i as a response to uh, did you say change so like changes case? like changes in their case okay. or like changes with you know visitation or with mm-hmm. um whatever is going on mm-hmm. if it's something that he notices okay it'll shift and, um, so it's not that you're telling him stuff. It's just no. the circumstances change. Yeah, circumstances change. It's yeah. kind of like the hardest part of being a foster parent is you're parenting without control mm. over the situation. So there are things that will happen that it's like, oh, I would not have said this to him at this point. You know, I would have yeah. waited or I would have said something early to like get him ready or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when those things have come up, I'll see like a big, you know, if you're having a meltdown about having to hold my hand to cross the street. And it's like, well, the older boys don't have to do that. And then it's, you know, noticing the difference that the 13-year-old gets treated differently than him as, at the time, six-year-old. Yeah. And he has, like, this huge reaction. It's like, well, this is really disproportionate. So maybe you're feeling, you're, you're feeling different than the children who have a biological connection. Yeah. And responding, like, really hurt by that difference. And the difference is actually... Because you're six, yeah. You know? <laughs> but you know, like hard to, yeah, hard to understand that, hard to accept that, and you might be looking for those right. places where you are being treated differently, right? <laughs> and are you feeling like you are a psychologist at totally. the time? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think about going into psychology? <laughs> I like. I was literally texting someone yesterday. I was like, I don't really want to be a real psychologist, but yeah. I would love to be like the fake ones they bring into reality shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very surface level <laughs> but no i um i do feel like that sometimes like i'm always trying to decode everything even for the babies you know yeah. i'm like kind of watching for yeah you know like what like um you know i i look for differences between 
the children based on, you know, I know their different experiences. Right. So it's like, is this one acting vastly different than Mm -hmm. the one before? Mm -hmm. And like, what could that be a sign of? Right, at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Or Mm -hmm. I'm also just kind of, you know, I I am thinking a lot about, this is maybe a place where I do think ahead. And Mm -hmm. it's like, um, you know, we took them to therapists that said like, oh, they're doing great, whatever. And it's like, okay, right now. Yeah. And we will see, (laughs) you know, like what happens because... Um, there is kind of a thing that people have talked to me about. It's like, oh, it's good that you got you know so many babies because then they won't remember anything and it'll be right. like they are your biological children. And it's like, no, I mean, like, yeah, all of them were separated from mm-hmm. um, biological parents. So, yeah. like, yeah. all of them are going to have that. And they might not c- consciously remember mm-hmm. the separation. Right. But their brains are being developed. So it's going to affect... Absolutely. That. And Absolutely. so, like, you know, I'm going to have to watch for that yeah. all the way through. Yeah. It might come up in two years. It might come up in 10 years. Right. And we'll have to process it then. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's been a lot of studies done on this. I would imagine there have. But I know, like, just anecdotally, like, people who've had babies that had to have surgeries right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the child grows up and... and gets into young adulthood and is showing signs of PTSD. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's like th- those things have, those things have a huge effect. Of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a trauma of some, of on some level. And I've know? heard from more experienced foster parents who have had like kids of all different ages Yeah, that like, you know, people are always scared to take teenagers cause they're like, Oh, they're going to be so traumatized <laughs> and they're going to have all these things. And it's like, right. Maybe, mm-hmm. but also maybe like, a lot of like more experienced foster parents are like, I actually have an easier time with the teens because they'll have a, a you know something and they can identify and tell me what's wrong right. and we can work through it together. Whereas like you can't do that with a two year old. You have to be the child psychologist trying mm-hmm. to interpret the behaviors. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. And do you intend? I mean, is there any kind of um, amount of of we're going to withhold certain amounts of information until certain ages or how do you like navigate yeah, that stuff? Yeah, I, this is kind of a thing because at, at times um, we aren't in control of that. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't necessarily have all the information. Right. I don't seek out all the information to mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do try to have a system of, like them letting me know when they're ready, mm. yeah. particularly the oldest yeah. of the fosters. It's like, you know, if he has a question or if I'm suspicious that he is feeling something, I'll kind of very gently ask about it, but not, I'm trying not to like, yeah, go Lean. right. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to be like, oh, are you having a feeling about, you know, this situation or, or are, are you curious? Yeah. Do you have a question? Yeah. Is there something you don't understand? Yeah. Because right now, I think mostly it's that. I think mostly right now it's confusion about not having a lot of answers and me not being able to give solid answers because the same way I can't say to myself what's yeah. gonna, where the case is going to go. Right. I can't tell him, you know. Right. Like, you, yeah, you can't give empty promises mm-hmm. either. Like, yeah. Oh, we'll always be here. Or yeah. We'll always... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Forget that. Yes. You know? Yes, yeah. exactly. 
I even don't, never did that. Like I even had, like, I would never say like, I'll always be here or I'll, you know, I could say things like, I'll always love you. I was just thinking that. Yeah. I'll yeah. <laughs> yeah. always love you for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't promise I'll always be here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like. Yeah. As a parent, I've always had this funny thing where I feel like I tell my kids everything and I tell them as early as they want um, because I always had this kind of chip on my shoulder that like no one trusted me with the information when I was young. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there is a lot of wisdom to that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and psychology behind it. But I also feel like kids can handle a lot more than we think. Mm-hmm. And that certain information really does help them understand and it helps them feel like they're being taken seriously yeah and that's actually i think really important because if you're withholding information from a kid it can make them feel like oh i'm not supposed to know that because they don't think i'm ready or Mm -hmm. old enough which for kids is a big deal yeah am i old enough and so to feel like oh i'm being given this information Mm -hmm. because i am old enough you know you, you would be careful about what information but but sometimes that can really open a door mm-hmm. instead of kind of over what we worry that will overwhelm them with something they can't handle. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, kids have had to handle a lot throughout history. Totally. <laughs> like, come yeah, on. Yeah. Like, this idea of like a perfect childhood doesn't exist in a way that when we give kids that ownership, I guess, mm-hmm. of that information, it really does help them feel like they're in whatever's happening in the family they're mm-hmm. a part of it they're not being shut out yeah and and also like that they you know there is again with the system so little control that they you know i feel disempowered as a foster parent so yeah. like i can't imagine what it would feel like to be a child who has no power no say yeah and yeah if you're if, if he's old enough to ask he's old enough to yeah. To have an answer. Right. And I'm if, not going to give him extra. I'm mm-hmm. not going to like, th- you know. Keep going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will answer the question as it's asked. Yeah, exactly. And if you have follow-ups, I'll answer the follow-ups. Yeah. And then when you stop asking, I will stop answering. Right. And I mean, <laughs> I can imagine there might be times when you say, I'll I'll think about that one mm-hmm. or I'll yeah. maybe get back to you tomorrow or. Or I don't know the answer and yeah. I will try to find it for you. And when I know, you will know too. Yeah. yeah, I think I don't know is is one of the greatest things you can say as a parent. Mm-hmm. And we're reluctant sometimes, especially when they're little. Yeah. You know, yeah. you want to have all the answers. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and they kind of expect you to. Uh-huh. But. Totally. It's really fun when you say, I don't know. Yeah. You know? I mean, like when I had the stillbirth and my daughter was two and a half, she was asking me all kinds of questions about mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. And we had amazing conversations because I would just keep saying i don't know yeah i don't know i don't know what happens i don't know where she is i don't know if heaven is real you know yeah yeah (laughs) and she had lots of ideas she Uh had tons of well maybe it's this and maybe she's in the sky maybe she's watching me right now and then she'd start Mm -hmm. dancing around and you're like what feels heavy to me and hard to me to her is like kind of a fun exercise yeah you know i had a similar Mm. um that there are certain things that I would I would ask questions about, like, what do you think mm. happened? And there were, like, yeah. fantastical answers. Mm. And it was like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say, yes, that's what happened. But I'm also not going to tell you, yeah. no, right. that's not what happened. You know, I'll just like, it's like, oh. Yeah. 
That's, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you have yeah. an imagination. Yeah. Yeah. Which as we know, all kids do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, a lot of what I feel like about grief with kids is it's important to just acknowledge it, mm-hmm. just acknowledging that they have grief, mm-hmm. that it's part of their life. Um, that it's probably going to remain part of their life, Mm -hmm. that maybe certain behaviors when they're older could be a result of it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, do you guys think about that or do you think about like advantages to doing that or maybe some disadvantages to doing that? Do you know what? With um, my 18-month-old? Yeah. um, Well, I do this with all of them, but it's particularly funny with my 18-month-old that when she's crying, like having a big... Mm. reaction to whatever like she yeah. spilled her ice cream and she's yeah. screaming yeah i'll go oh it looks like you're having a really big feeling mm-hmm. and she goes yeah oh. and then she'll kind of calm down yeah. and i'm like she definitely does not know what those words mean but i feel like it works because she feels like someone noticed yeah and it's like i don't really do much else other than just say that and then like pick her up it moves through yeah and mm. it like helps I, I do it with all of them, you know, yeah. that like, when yeah. I, when I, looks like something is yeah. really ha- going deep, I just, you know, oh, are you having a, are you having a big feeling right now? And I just kind of like leave the, leave it, mm. I try to stay in a curious place about it yeah. instead of like a judgmental yeah. Yeah. place about it. And it seems helpful to them because that's what I want yeah. when I'm having those big feelings. And I feel like it's like not that different, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I just want someone to notice. Yeah. That I'm suffering. Yeah. And make space for it. Yeah. I think, like, being present, mm-hmm. like, you're just, like, yeah, like, you sort of did something with your hand that made me know, like, you would get down on her level. Yeah. And mm-hmm. just be, like, you know, we're, we're going to mm-hmm. stop what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're going to just stay here on the curb or wherever we are, uh-huh. you know, instead of rushing past this or going, oh, we'll get you another one. Yeah. Just be, like, oh, I see this happen. I see mm-hmm. that you're, you're feeling this, you know. Just to me, making that little bit of space mm-hmm. um, is all anybody needs. Yeah. You know, really. And my therapist said something that I thought was helpful that was like, oh, you know, like when a baby is hurts herself or whatever, then, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to have a big reaction and then scare her. Right. So it's like, you know, if you want to just be there, yeah. you know, as a parent to like feel steady to them that you're not thrown off by their feeling either that it's not overwhelming me i'm not catching the big feeling but i'm noticing it and i'm trying to help you through it like that's my role is just and sometimes that's hard yeah especially (laughs) sometimes when a kid has something happen to them that you do have feelings about yeah you know like um my daughter grace when she was a toddler her best friend, who was also a toddler, like decided to cut her hair. Like we were letting them kind of have their time in the other room and they got really quiet. You know, when you're like, your alarm goes off, yeah. you're like, uh-oh, they're being too quiet. And we went in there and half of Grace's hair was like, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> and I had grown very attached to her hair. Yeah. Like I would um, probably have a reaction. <laughs> it was so hard for me to stay neutral mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah. You know? I know I didn't. I'm sure yeah. I was like t- way too reactive. Um, but I think to kind of, you almost have to like, quickly acknowledge your feeling go like okay get that out of the way (laughs) and now let me just be neutral Mm -hmm. for this 18 month old screamer who you know his ice cream is on the floor yeah 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 and not to say that i am yeah 
perfect no, <laughs> but, but, but yeah you have but that kind of take care that's of that the goal yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah you kind of have to check yourself try to be neutral yes. but honestly just being present mm-hmm. i think sometimes takes care of that mm-hmm. for me yeah, yeah yeah like i want them to notice that i'm focused on yeah on it and i think that's like the primary goal yeah <laughs> exactly um <laughs> it just it sounds like so much fun having four kids honestly <laughs> And like all at once, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like having quadruplets, but they're all different ages. I know, sort of. Like, well, especially the ones that are under three yeah. is like, yeah, that's wild. But to acquire to to sort of have them yes. all at once instead yeah. of like, oh, we had a year with this one, and then we got a year yeah. with that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's a lot. It was especially Chad had started a new job literally the day before we got the kids, so he could take no time off. Mm. For that, for for the first three that we got, and yeah. I was the one who had no experience, because right. when I came into the boys' lives, they were six and eight. Wow! So I'm like, okay, so I'm home alone with with like a toddler, a baby, baby, and a six year old who's like active and wasn't yeah. in school at the time. Right. So I was like, right. Wow. <laughs> I mean, what did that look like? I'm crying at yeah. the end of the day every day. <laughs> <laughs> just waiting for Chad to come home and then crying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was fun. I was, yeah. like, loving it, but then it was just, like, so yeah. tired. Oh, you must have been. The exhaustion. But then... being a teacher. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. helped some. Yes. You're... I also was figuring out my limits. Like, I was, like, that first week, I, I still think about this. I, like, mm. put the girls in a stroller, and then I had the, yeah. my um, seven-year-old walk with me, and we walked like three blocks to the park which Mm -hmm. didn't seem very far in my head and then when we got there like toddler started having a tantrum and trying to run into the street (laughs) and then (laughs) and then so i had to pick her up and strap her into the stroller and then the other baby wants to be held but she's so she's crying and then I'm like, okay, I just have to, we just have to go home. And then the six-year-old starts crying because he wants to play at the park. Yeah. And so I have to take three screaming really children unhappy. three blocks home. And I was like, hmm, I, that was not the best planning. <laughs> I totally get that. Yeah. I mean, I uh, sometimes three blocks can be yeah. like three yeah. miles. Yes, yes. Yeah. In August. Um, I wish I was that mom who got to the park and like realized, oh, it's actually nap time. Or, oh, oh I didn't bring a snack and they're mm-hmm. starving. I yes. was just always unprepared. I always am missing something. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah. But usually at the park, there's somebody who has exactly, you know, yeah. like, oh, do you want these strawberries? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, but well, so what is like, what's the, what's the best part of your day? What's the worst part of your day? I would say the best part of my day, I love bedtime. Like I love singing to, Mm. um, I always sing Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty to the girls. Wow. Um, at bedtime. So I love that. And like tucking them in. They're so cute. Yeah. That's my that's my best part of the day. Mm. Um, usually, the worst part of my day is like an hour before that, when I like everyone's a little bit tired, but it's too early to go to bed, and yeah. then there's usually multiple tears coming from different places, or I'm like trying to get one of them to eat, or yeah. like you know, yeah. So it's like the chaos of it. Yeah, it's when when like I'm really great when one thing is going wrong yeah. and then as soon as it's two things 
I'm mm, done. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I'm not a great multitasker like that. But you must be because you're doing. I My mean, husband is great at it. Okay. At the at the multitasking part of it. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, what about the older kids, like the two stepsons? Did you feel like? I mean, I'm sure they're. Um, really happy to have mm-hmm. these all these new siblings but there also has to be that's a big change for them too like mm-hmm. how do you guys notice that or how do you try to like make space for their feelings mm-hmm. I think it, it has been interesting because they had they already had a dynamic very similar to this with Amanda mm. where they had the three little sisters oh, right. um, and then so it's not totally new to them but what is new is like for the eleven-year-old, he was at least the youngest in our house, and so I think that is like a double-edged sword. Where, like, on the one hand, he is the closest to the seven-year-old. Like, he like immediately playtime together all the time. Like, they're the ones that also clash sometimes because sure. of that closeness. Sure. So I've noticed that, um, but they're kind of at it, kind of, you know, like a good age where. They're both in middle school. They're kind of getting more into like, you know, their friends are starting to become, you know, the more important to them. They're starting (laughs) to have their own lives. Yeah. So it's kind of like been interesting to like these things, watch these things kind of sync up. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds so, I mean, I grew up the youngest of four Mm -hmm. and I loved being the youngest. Yeah. So I feel for that, that one, that one that is now a middle. Um, Yeah. Because it, it is a sort of a special spot to be the youngest. Yeah. I'm also the youngest. Mm-hmm. You know, only of two. But right. yeah. I still got every single youngest child personality trait. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. I just sort of expect everybody to do things for me. Yeah. That was kind of my go-to. I once um, was telling a story at work when I was like, I was like 23 and I was working at the special event space and... I was talking about my brother, and I was like, oh, yeah, and on Saturdays when I was in high school, my brother would wake up early and wash my car for me, and they were like, oh, that explains everything that's wrong with you, and why you're horrible to work with. (laughs) You're just like, what? Yeah. (laughs) But you can't be that as a teacher. I know. I know. I think teaching is such a lesson in growing up. Totally. having to be in charge. Totally. <laughs> um, but do you feel like being in charge or, or or managing a classroom of like thirty plus students gives you some gave you some training in terms of managing a family of nine yeah. kids? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I at least don't. Um, you know, even when I get stressed out by the like chaos of it, yeah. it's like, well, I have some mm-hmm. uh, some feeling that I can regain control of this or like manage it, and it's not okay. going to just you yeah. know. You know, I think that was, like, a thing as a teacher, because I had a lot of trouble with classroom management for mm. the first couple of years. Yeah. And it was, like, it would become chaotic, and it's, like, oh, it's chaos now. I give up. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> I would do that, too. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, or I'd just see it coming, and I'd sort of freeze. Yes. I wouldn't know what to do. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, a freezer. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and then you just figured out. I remember one of the trainings we had at the armory, someone said something like, if you're in a power struggle with a child you already lost Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah it's so true Mm -hmm. it's amazing watching you um you know i don't see you like regularly but it has been amazing kind of just hearing the story hearing about your life and seeing you 
like, wow, you're like a super dad. Oh, like, thank you. <laughs> like, how did that, like, so overnight you became yeah. like a super dad. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to a friend who, like, was having some anxieties because she wants to have kids soon. And mm. she's like, what if I'm not good at all these things? Because, you know, she was talking about, like, my friend Holly, who's a doula, and, like, yeah. um, and was like, what if I'm, you know, I watch, was watching her do these things and she was so good. And I'm like, well, she's had, th- you know, two kids. She's pregnant with her third, you know. That's a lot of practice, and yeah. you learn, you yeah, know? Like, you do. It's like a lot all at once, but it's on-the-job training. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel sometimes, as a parent, like you can hear your own parents coming through you? Like... Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> the good and the bad. Yes, yes, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like, really feel like I just became my mother. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love when I notice my mom in me. Yeah. It's so nice. Yeah. I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what she would have said. Mm -hmm. You know, even if if I bristled at it as a kid. Yeah. As an adult, I'm like, no, that was the right thing to say. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming. And um, I will definitely put Best Wives Club in the show notes. It's such a fun podcast. I have not missed an episode. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> this is so fun. If you like the podcast, please remember to rate and review it, especially in the Apple Podcasts. And if you can't do that, please pass it on to people you think might enjoy it. I'm trying to grow my audience, and I really um, need your help as audience members to do that. Lastly, I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. It's from her album, We Fall.